0: Welcome to this week's sermon from Dale Partridge at Kingsway Bible Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit kingswaybible.org. Over the past two weeks, we've covered Romans 5 6 through 8 that taught how God's love for his people was seen most clearly in Christ's death. That was the theme of that two part message that God's love is most clearly seen. In Christ's death. We learn that Christ died for us not when we were strong or righteous, but when we were helpless and sinful. And that's important, is because we were not friends of God at this point in time. We were enemies of God. We often think that we are the ones with the problem. We hate God. And we need to fix that. When in reality, The scriptures teach that God is angry with us, that we have become children of wrath. And the sheer fact that Christ died for those who in their flesh hated him, what that does is it demonstrates the vast difference between the love of man and the love of God. Now, we know that a man would be willing to die for his wife, or a man might be willing to die for his children, or maybe for a particular individual that he has vowed to protect. But no man would willingly die for his enemy. This is the difference between Christ and man, and the love of God and the love of man. We also learned about the exclusive nature of Christ's atonement. We looked at the scripture's regular use of definite personal pronouns. This is what we see thematically in the New Testament, definite personal pronouns. It's the idea of a Uh, Using the words us or we or you, or in English, we don't really have a second person plural, but it would be y'all, those, etc. We are constantly referred to as a specific group of people the sheep, uh, the bride of Christ, the building blocks. There is a definite personal pronoun. They are not indefinite, they're not using words like all or everyone or any. No, Christ died for his people, his sheep, his bride, his church. And so if the last three verses that we looked at, uh, verses six through eight, if the last three verses were dealing with the degree of God's love in the cross of Christ, these next verses, and I want you to look at your Bible and look down, the following three verses are declaring the strength of Christ to secure eternal peace with God. Okay, the last three verses: God's love for us shown in Christ's death. These three verses forthcoming is declaring the strength of Christ to secure eternal peace with God. So let's read Romans 5, 9. It says, much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So I want you to take note, just if you're a good uh, Bible studier, someone who cares about the text, you would want to know that this term, much more, is used four times in the next eight verses. And so there's a thematic reality, what Paul is using a particular form of argumentation to make various points. And so Paul is using what's called a top-down argument. And it's which uh, it's an approach that starts with these primary truths. And then they use those truths to support secondary conclusions. And so I want you guys to see a little bit of the framework, how Paul is communicating here. And so in the first use, the primary use here is Christ's death for sinners. But the secondary reality, and there will be a tertiary reality as well. But the secondary reality is that Christ's death for sinners is his ability to save those whom he died from God's wrath. The death actually accomplished something. It secured something. Paul's saying, if Christ was willing to die to secure atonement for the sins of his people, we can certainly trust that such an atonement is sufficient to give you eternal peace with God. If Christ is willing to die, the big thing, you can certainly trust that that atonement is capable of securing eternal peace with God, the smaller or lesser thing. That's the type of structure that Paul is putting here. In other words, Paul's saying if Christ was willing to secure atonement for the sins of his people, we can certainly trust that that atonement is sufficient to give you eternal peace, eternal peace. And what I, what's important here is that Paul's making a point that Christ did not die so that we might one day be reinstated as enemies with God. If Christ died for your sins, because you're one of the elect, you've been born again, he didn't do so that you might be reinstated as an enemy of God later, that you might lose that gracious standing of mercy and peace with the Father. Now, if Christ died for you, he will eternally keep you at peace with God through the blood of the cross. He's constantly making intercession for us with his own blood. So in a sense, Paul is demonstrating the doctrine of eternal security. This is an important doctrine. You might call it once saved, always saved. You might call it P in the TULIP acronym, the Perseverance of the Saints, or the Preservation of the Saints. But Paul is demonstrating the doctrine of eternal security. That is that Christ's death for a person actually secures something. The blood actually does something eternally. Therefore, if you've been born again and trust in the righteousness of Christ, you do not have temporary salvation. You have permanent salvation. This is good news, right? This is good news. You have permanent redemption. You have permanent peace. Now you might be thinking, this isn't something that is helpful for me at this point in time. I promise you, when you sin grievously and you doubt and you're concerned about the integrity of your faith, and you can rest on the permanency of your peace with God. I've had this happen in my own life weeping for sins that I've committed and then finding joy in the fact that I am still at peace with God through the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2, 13 through 17. Why don't you turn there with your Bibles, follow along. Ephesians 2, 13 through 17. It says, and this is probably the ESV, but it could be the NASB that I'm reading in here. I didn't mark it in my notes. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. I'm moving on. I might be skipping a verse here and there. By abolishing the law of commandments, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Christ's work on the cross killed the hostility between God and man. Christ essentially is our permanent peacemaker. He is the permanent peacemaker. And I assure you, children, that there will be a day that you will be so glad that you remember that truth. When you do something so grievous, And you recognize that Christ is your permanent peacemaker with God. He has abolished the hostility between God and his sheep by his own blood. Hebrews 10, 10 through 14, which we read earlier today, it contrasts the temporary nature of the old covenant sacrificial system made with the blood of animals. It contrasts it with the permanent nature of the new covenant sacrifice made with the blood of Christ. The author writes here, and you can follow along, Hebrews 10, 10 through 14. It says, We have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest, talking about the Levitical priest, stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Amen? Christ's sacrifice was so sufficient that it paid for your past, present and future sins. It paid for the sins of your great-great-grandchildren that have not yet been born. But he also promises eternal life. He's not just dying for the sake of dying. The atonement wasn't just for forgiveness, it was the promise of eternal life. Now God cannot promise what can possibly be lost, right? God cannot promise what can possibly be lost. It would make him a liar. Hebrews 6.18 says it is impossible for God to lie. Christ did not say in the gospel that you have the opportunity of eternal life if you maintain your obedience. We live in a time where many Christians think that they contribute to their station, their redemption by obeying. They confuse that good works are the fruits of being saved, but they are not the root. It is the perfect obedience of Christ. We have people who think if they don't obey enough that they might be lost in this generation. We have people who think that they disobey and they lose their peace with God and they have to get it back by repenting again and by coming to the altar again and by being baptized again or coming down on the altar call on Sunday again, or by committing their life to Christ again. They don't understand the eternal nature of the gospel. Christ did not say that you have a chance at eternal life if you can sustain your faith. No, we know that Christ is the author and finisher of our faith, and that he will sustain our faith. Christ will accomplish it all on the front of my bible which is somewhere around here down here i have a romans 11:36 for from him and through him and to him are all things to god be the glory forever and ever amen all things for from him and to him and through him are all things including your faith christ says again that he will accomplish it all from atonement and regeneration by work of the holy spirit to justification by faith the faith even granted to you as a gift from God, repentance granted to you as a gift from God, sanctification through the Holy Spirit, glorification through the power of the resurrection. Every aspect of our salvation is secured by Christ. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. If you've come to Christ and you've been born again, and you trust in the righteousness of Jesus, Christ will hold you fast. He will hold you fast. John 10, 27 through 29, one of my favorite passages of scripture, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Never. Do you for a second can you grasp that for your own life? You will never perish. If you believe and trust in Christ, you've already been given everything you need, you will never go to hell. God will keep you. I've heard the story from Sproul and I've used it several times since explaining the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, is that if you have a bridge walking over a thousand foot valley and you're holding your dad's hand and you're a little child and the father says to the son, hold on to my hand and don't let go. The rungs on this bridge might break. And you're, these two are walking down this bridge and all of a sudden, one of the rungs breaks be- below the child's foot and he lets go of his dad's hand when he's a- afraid. Does the child perish? Well, of course not, because even though the child lets go, the father doesn't. The idea that is in the American church that takes that illustration and says, if you let go, I'll let go. That's the God that they serve. That's not the God of the Bible. They wanna believe that you have that free will to leave. Otherwise, it would be forced compliance for you to stay. No, the reality is, is that God says, if you let go, I will hold on. Even an earthly father would do such a thing. To say that an earthly father would be greater in expressing the love of sustaining a child than our eternal father, it's a blasphemous idea. It's a blasphemous idea. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand." Isn't that amazing? Jude 124 says "Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy." First Peter 1: three through5, "If you're worried about your faith failing, you don't need to be. Amen. Ultimately, Paul is trying to communicate the extent of what Christ's atonement has accomplished for us as his elect people. Verse 10 says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, second usage, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So again, we see this second use of much more Remember, Paul is using what's called a deductive argument, a top-down argument. He's saying if God has done the greater thing, then certainly, much more, we can trust him to do the lesser thing. If God is willing to die for his enemies and give up his own life, he who had no sin, then he can certainly preserve peace and eternal life through his resurrection. So if you receive reconciliation to God through Christ's death, then we can certainly expect redemption and resurrection and glory through his life. John 5, 24 says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Do you understand this? It's not a promise of something to come. It's something that you possess now. It's a present tense, has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. These are the words of Jesus. Verse 11, and not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So Paul then redirects us from the blessings, the blessings of the atonement, the blessings of Christ, To the one who blesses. He's bringing us back from the blessings to the blessed, to the one that blesses. Not only do we revel in the gifts of God, but we also revel in God himself. It's the whole idea of don't just focus on the gifts, but also the giver. He tells us to exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word exalt means to exercise an unusual degree of praise. An unusual degree of praise. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. An unusual degree of praise. So the gift of salvation through the death of Christ should cause you to praise God, the giver of all good gifts. Is that true in your life? Do you reflect on the atonement and the peace, the permanency of your salvation? the eternal life that you have now. And does that cause you to exult? Psalm 68, three through four says, but let the righteous be glad. Let them exult before God. Yes, let them rejoice with gladness. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song for him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord and exult before him. Amazing. I want you to see as I close here, that we, the flock of God's pasture, have an exclusive joy. We have an exclusive joy. Children, you are going to be invited by the world to go and pursue counterfeit joys, fleeting pleasures. But in Christ, you have an exclusive and eternal joy. As Spurgeon says, a solid joy, a solid joy that's unshared with by the world. They have circumstantial joy. They have joy around wealth and they have joy around health and they have joy around certain relationships. But when those things continue to fade, they are left without joy. The only joy that you can have in the cancer diagnosis or the death of a child is the exclusive joy, the unconditional joy, the joy that is not dependent upon right circumstances, but the joy that is dependent upon Christ. That joy we must treasure because when you have that joy, you have everything. You have substance and you have meaning and you have purpose. You are no longer a child of wrath, perverted, or slaves to sin. No, in Christ, God's grace has restored your nature. You are a God worshiper. That's what you're made to do. You are a child of love who can experience an everlasting joy because of our everlasting God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus, and the atonement and the work of the cross, Lord, that secures the peace that we have between you and us, the permanent peace, Lord, that we have redemption and eternal life today. Father, we thank you for these beautiful and wonderful truths in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. For more information about Pastor Dell Partridge or Kingsway Bible Church, visit kingswaybible.org.